Chapter 5. All the President's Men During any presidential election, people take sides. You're either on the right or the left, Republican or Democrat. And if you stray too far from the flanks of the political spectrum and find yourself in the middle, either a moderate centrist or a libertarian, then, well, you're just giving the election to the other side, or so I'm told. The competing dynamics of the two-party system is beyond flawed, yet we've been programmed to ignore it, despite the fact that it's broken and most likely beyond repair. In today's political climate, which we can safely blame many of our problems on, poverty in America, the disparity in the justice system, race relations, income disparity, the losing war on drugs, the losing war on terror, failing economies, failing communities, failing infrastructure, declining literacy rates, unchecked government spending, and of course, the situation at the southern border. We expend so much energy fighting for our political allegiances that most of the time, the actual problems that affect actual people get lost in the morass. The thing about developing allegiances, which in and of itself is harmless, is that most of the time we become blind to some pretty jarring things. And that, that can be problematic. From the Hyman blog and Press Play podcast, I'm J.D. Hyman. As a black man living in America, I am living proof that while all men were created equal, not all men are equal. We're here to dig into the American political system, explore and unearth experiences from the human condition, and be a catalyst for some hard conversations that need to be had. No matter what brought you here, I'm glad you came. Once again, my name is JD, and this is the Hyman Podcast. Part 1. Trump Supporters and Everyone Else Disclaimer. I think it is very denigrative, if not pejorative, to refer to someone as a Trump supporter or a Biden supporter, or in the case of this particular episode, a Hillary supporter. I think the way that it's used in our society today is just wrong. But for the sake of this podcast and in an effort to keep ideas straight, I'm going to be using those terms. But I want you to know that I am in no way meaning to convey denigrative subtext. I am not using these terms in a pejorative manner, nor am I using them as a means to belittle anyone. Okay, thanks. In the wake of the 2016 presidential election, the nation was left split down party lines. It was a much different election than any I've ever witnessed. The nation's first black president was preparing to vacate the Oval Office, and it paved the way for an actual female contender in the race for America's next chief executive. On the left, Hillary Rodham Clinton, former first lady, former senator, former secretary of state, and certainly no veteran to the American political system. She was running on a platform that was widely considered a progressive agenda to put families and children first. And on the right, Mr. Donald J. Trump, graduate of the prestigious Wharton School of Business, former reality TV star, and current full-time real estate mogul. As described by Wikipedia, an American businessman who was running on a platform to put America first. During the campaigning, many things came to light and many things were said about both candidates. 
could Hillary be trusted with national security? Was Donald openly racist? It was the contentious battle of the brawn, wit, and who could dig up the most dirt on the other. During the debates, it was quite evident that no one was interested in the actual issues at hand. And by the time November rolled around, the only thing that the media was talking about was which candidate was more fit for office. According to Fox News, Hillary should go to jail for abusing her position as Secretary of State and putting the national security of the country at risk. And with CNN, Donald should be held to account for remarks he made on a hot mic. And in addition to that, it may be worthwhile to call a lot of his other remarks into question as well. And then the election happened and Hillary lost and we had a national panic attack. Okay, well, not actually, but at least a literal half of the country did. For all intents and purposes, and according to the polls, it seemed that she would be a shoe-in. So how in the world could Donald Trump, the man from Queens County, New York, become the actual American president? It was jarring for so many people. The people who voted for Hillary, the chief executives of CNN and MSNBC, their owners, and, well, Hillary who made a YouTube video the night before the election to make one last appeal to the American people to push politics aside for a moment and to trust their better angels and vote for her because that was the common sense thing to do. And people did. And for a moment, it seemed like Hillary would break the highest glass ceiling in America. And then Pennsylvania turned red. Something that hasn't happened since the 1988 election of George H.W. Bush. It was now Trump's America, and things were changing. Some for the good, some for the bad, and in the process, two camps of people emerged. Trump supporters and everyone else. For the people who voted for Clinton, the burning question was, who in their right mind could vote for someone like Trump? And there were others. How are you okay with what this man has said? How do you support someone who is openly racist, who is xenophobic, who is only looking out for the rich, who circumvents authority? How can you allow someone who is so mentally unstable to be anywhere near the nuclear launch codes? Donald Trump had defied the odds that were hedged against him, and he made history. Which side of history, you ask? Well, that's still up for debate. The important thing to remember is that Democrats had just come off of an historic high. The first black man had been president, and now we're about to have the first female president. But that didn't happen. There was a lot riding on that election, and when Hillary lost, people were in shock. All at once, it seemed, people all over began to denounce the legitimacy of the Trump presidency. And in the first 100 days of said presidency, in the wake of sweeping reform, that disdain only grew. Within the first four years of the Trump presidency, he would be ostracized by all of mainstream media, the entirety of the White House press corps, the bulk of Hollywood elites, three-fourths of ABC's The View, the majority of the House of Representatives, everyone who voted for Hillary Clinton, and of course, Hillary herself. There would be congressional hearings, Senate hearings, more congressional hearings, a two-year probe, countless testimonies, and an impeachment. And to what end? The president would remain in office. But this wasn't enough. The people who hated Trump 
hated him even more now. And that only emboldened the staunch Trump supporters to support him even more. So what does all this mean and why am I even talking about it? I'm talking about the people who think Donald Trump is God's gift to America. Newsflash, he's not. There's a group of people that are staunch conservatives and as such staunch Trump supporters. You've seen them around. They usually never leave the house without their Make America Great Again hats. Their vehicles are covered in Trump paraphernalia. They come to all the rallies and they will denounce every move that the Democrats make. But the one thing that they do that is quite troubling is that they fail to acknowledge when he's done something wrong. You're not voting for a person. You're voting for the platform. You can support a president, but you can also denounce when they've done something wrong. That's the thing. Now, the president's message is clear on what he feels about the Black Lives Matter movement. And some of the people who follow him have a propensity to say and do things to echo the president's agenda, whatever that may be. Presidents are not flawless. They make mistakes just like the rest of us. I know I'm stepping on some toes and a few people come to mind. Some folks in this camp would argue that he's better than Obama that he's created a robust economy, that he's brought millions of jobs back to the U.S., that he's repealed needless governmental policies that have restricted small businesses from thriving. But even if all that's true, it still doesn't justify the wrong he's done. Just because you support someone, staunchly or otherwise, you should still call them out and hold them accountable when they do something wrong. Because presidents come and go, and when they're gone, you're going to have to answer for the part you played in that moment in history. Some people may say that just because you voted a certain way, it means you support certain ideals. That's not true. And we should get away from saying things like that because it denigrates people for the actions of someone else. More on that after this. Hello, Brooks here with the Books with Brooks monthly book club podcast. We read one book a month and then we talk about it. Books like Stephen King's The Shining or Where the Crawdads Sing by Delia Owens. If you're on the hunt for book recommendations and enjoy sparkling conversation, come read along with us and then listen in. And I'm Dennis Maniloff, co-host along with the roadman, Kenny Rhoda of the Next Man Up podcast, part of the Press Play Podcast Network. Roadman and I do a deep dive into Browns, Indians, Cavs, Ohio State, and anything else that's on the sports fan's mind. Part two, the wrong side of right. The two-party system set us up for failure. Today, you're not recognized by the ideals you stand behind, but you're recognized by who you voted for in the last election or who you plan to vote for in the next. I can't tell you how many times I've scrolled through social media feeds and have seen or heard phrases like, how can anyone support this man? And then there's a picture or a video clip or if you support Trump, you're saying racism is OK. Or my all time favorite, if you support this man, just go ahead and unfriend me or unfollow me. Relationships, I found, live and die in the comments. The two-party system has effectively limited the voice of so many people, myself included. There's these notions that all black people have to be Democrats or all Republicans are racist. And if you vote for anyone else on the ticket, you're giving the election to the other side. I disagree with that out of hand. 
because essentially what you're saying is that someone's voice doesn't matter. And if that's the case, then what is the incentive to vote in the first place? I see it all the time. Rock the vote. Let your voice be heard. But I guess in those situations, your voice only matters when you're voting for the people they want you to vote for. These are usually the same people who tout inclusivity and tolerance, but they only seem to be tolerant when you're siding with them. And speaking of tolerance, how can you call yourself tolerant of all people when you show so much disdain for anyone who doesn't vote like you? Usually in those situations, they make a generic excuse as to why that behavior is acceptable. But for me, it speaks volume about the person and the party. I have friends on both sides of the aisle. I have some who don't subscribe to any of the two major parties. And what I found, generally, they are all good people. Yes, there are some fundamental disagreements, but for the most part, I've never ended a friendship because of who someone voted for. Now, obviously, I can't speak for everyone, and that's okay, but nothing drives me away from political party faster than the people who stand behind their party's leader, praising their successes, but are also unwilling to, at the very least, acknowledge that they have flaws. This past election saw us the most divided. Since Donald Trump surprised the world and won a presidential election, we have been engaged in a civil war. The Democrats versus the Republicans. We have been tearing each other down at every possible turn. The Republicans have been strong-arming their way through one crisis after the next, all the while failing to acknowledge the shortcomings of Donald Trump. And the Democrats have pulled no punches. It started with election fraud, and that turned into the Russia probe, and that turned into the Mueller investigations, and that turned into abuse of power charges, and that turned into an impeachment. And now we're in a disinformation campaign. Where does it end? And Donald Trump, he just keeps going. One ill-advised tweet after the next. I hate the fact that we live in a country where at any given time, half of the country is having a national panic attack for one reason or another. But I also hate the fact that I live in a country where being black in America is a burden and mentally and emotionally taxing and also dangerous. There are issues that plague this country that don't get the attention it deserves, and the issues that are getting all the attention don't need it as much. For example, I wish the Democrats cared more about the fear I have of being pulled over by the police than they do illegal immigrants. I wish the Republicans cared more about the fact that I can't wear a hoodie in public without getting looks from certain people as much as they care about their balanced budget. We live in a country where you're either on the right side of history or the wrong side. There is no in-between in the political parties. There is no seeing this from the other side. One side is always right and one side is always wrong. One side has all the answers and only one side holds all the truths. What could possibly be wrong with that? More on that when we come back. Hi, my name is Jeremy Powell, co-host of the Oranges, Oranger, Browns podcast. Check us out anywhere you listen to podcasts. For all your Browns coverage, post-game, pre-game, anything you need, Browns, you'll find it here on the Oranges, Oranger, Browns podcast. Hey, it's JD. When I first started this podcast, I had no idea what I was doing. I just knew I had a story to tell, and I wanted to bring people on the journey with me. If you found this podcast useful at all, you can help support it by leaving a five-star review and telling your friends about it. So... Let's get back to the show. 
Part 3. The Lesser of Two Evils I'm not saying this to pick on people who support Donald Trump. The same goes for the people who supported Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama and all of our former leaders. And it's not just about the president or politicians, but it's about the people in our everyday lives. Just because someone is your hero doesn't mean that their wrong should be swept under the rug. It doesn't make you any less Republican or a Democrat to stand up for what's right. In today's political realm, we put our leaders in boxes, the bad ones and the good ones. The bad ones tend to be really bad and the good ones are, well, saints. We judge them by the least amount of bad they've done and compare them by the greatest atrocities they've ever been party to. I don't think I need to remind you of Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton's transgressions. But in our society, it's, well, he said this or, but she did that. For a large swath of the American electorate, the 2016 election was an inner battle of which devil they were willing to deal with. It's scary that we are putting the hope of a nation in a battle of who's less evil. We've come to a place in the American political system where we don't put faith so much in who is the more capable individual, but who has the capacity to win an election. Republicans didn't think Donald Trump would make a good president, but he put on a good show and he captivated the Republican electorate and he was what they had. So they had to make it work. And Democrats didn't think Hillary would make a good president. But through circumstances, uncorroborated or otherwise, she wound up as a leading lady. And so they had to make it work. If it were truly a battle of who was the most fit person for the job, then the ballot would have looked completely different. Each party has its differences, but at the core of it all, the Democrats believe the Republicans to be stuck in their ways, unable to accept the changing mores and cultural shifts. And the Republicans believe the Democrats to be way too liberal in their spending and shifts away from the conventions of the Constitution. Is one party more right than the other? No, I don't think so. But what I do think is that both sides of the aisle are culpable. Gone are the days of politics. Now it's a free for all, a popularity contest or something like it. We vote not on the basis of fitness for duty, but on the basis of political clout. During the 2016 election and now during the 2020 election, it's interesting to listen to all the arguments why people have decidedly to stand by their respective candidates. But the one argument that is seemingly shouted louder than any other argument is, well, he's better than so and so. Not that he's actually better, but that I'd rather any other alternative be the president. Choosing between the lesser of two evils has arguably been one of the founding principles in the American political system, but we see it in so many other places in life. So often, people find themselves choosing between the lesser of two evils in their everyday lives, and the consequences of doing so are oftentimes paid at a greater price than what most could think they're worth. On November 4th, 2001, Dr. Shirley Jane Turner embarked on a 16-hour road trip from Council Bluffs, Iowa to Latrobe, Pennsylvania. In the early hours of the next day, she confronted her then ex-boyfriend, Dr. Andrew Bagby, and in a fit of rage, she shot him five times, killing him. But before she could be arrested, Dr. Turner made her way to Canada, where she was safe from U.S. prosecution. In the months after Andrew was killed, Dr. Turner held a press conference where she announced she was pregnant with the child of the man she'd murdered. Upon learning this, 
Andrew's parents packed up and moved to Newfoundland, where they began an entrenching battle with the Canadian legal and social services system in an effort to gain custody of their grandson. They were surprised to learn that Dr. Turner was released from jail on bail on her own recognizance. Get this, the Canadian legal system felt that since she'd killed the person who was the object of her rage, she wasn't deemed a credible threat to society. And so they let her out. As they awaited for the finalization of her extradition back to the States, they were forced to engage in a tumultuous civil relationship with the woman who murdered their son, also they could have a relationship with their grandson, Zachary Andrew Turner. Yes, she named her son after his father, whom she'd killed. The Bagbees did all they could to keep their composure on Dr. Turner, even when she at times refused to allow them to see their grandson or flaked out on scheduled visits. Turns out, the kid liked his grandparents more than he liked his own mom. And who could blame him? One month after Zachary's first birthday, Dr. Turner crushed lorazepam into his formula. She then ingested a toxic dosage herself, drove to Conception Bay South, strapped Zachary to her person with a sweater, and jumped off of a fishing wharf and into the Atlantic Ocean. She and Zachary both drowned. But the medical examiner concluded that the lorazepam she'd given Zachary had rendered him unconscious, and as such, he didn't suffer. The Bagbys, they were understandably devastated. Not only had this woman taken their son's life, but now she'd taken away the last link of his existence away as well. It's situations like this that force us to acknowledge that certain kinds of evil exist. The kind that we can see and the kind that are unknown to us until they happen. For the Bagbys, their evil was flesh and blood. Do they hold a grudge against the woman and subsequently the child of the woman that murdered their son? Or do they compartmentalize their feelings for the sake of an innocent child? They chose the latter. And while that choice had unintended consequences, they still got to meet a precious little boy who even for a little while brought joy and love back into their lives. For us, I don't think we're ever going to get to a place where we aren't so divided, especially so deeply on issues that affect all of us. There will always be those who fight for social injustice and those who fight against it. There will always be those who fight for the rights of unborn babies and those who fight for the rights of women. There will always be those who fight against open borders and those who fight for the reform of immigration laws. For what it's worth, I've seen strong arguments on both sides of these issues. But that's a story for a different day. The challenge here is to recognize the differences and to prepare yourself to have an open mind and consider listening to someone who doesn't agree with you. You may find, and I know this to be true, that you have a lot more in common with someone who holds opposing political views than you may think. Regardless of what you feel or what your thoughts are on Donald Trump and Mike Pence or Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, your vote and your voice matters. And in this election, your vote is your voice and how you choose to express it is up to you. Just remember this, the government was based on the principle that the government will operate at the consent of the governed. That vote, your vote, that's your consent. And it's a responsibility borne by many of us. So get up and get out. And this time tomorrow, the last of us who haven't already, 
will go to the polls and metaphorically pull a lever for a set of individuals who some believe will change the course of history. Whether that's true or not is beyond me, but it's still history in the making. And to some degree, it should be a privilege to be part of it. My name is J.D. Hyman, and this is the Hyman Podcast. I'll see you next time. This episode of the Hyman Podcast was written, produced, and edited by myself, with additional copy editing and story editing by Emily Stacy. Kevin Aki is our brand designer, and the music for this episode was composed and produced by Jim Yosef and Raphael Crux. Additional music was licensed from Epidemic Sound. The Hyman Podcast is produced in part by Press Play Podcast. Press Play is staffed by Chase Smith, our CEO and fearless leader. I serve as the Chief Operating Officer, and Brooks May is the Head of Content and Development. To learn more about the network, sponsorships, guest appearances, or if you're interested in launching your own podcast on our network, visit us on the web at www.pressplaypodcast.com. Promotional consideration for this season of the Hyman Podcast was paid for by Blank Shell Gaming, Grant Furnace Designs, and Buds and Bloom New York. They support this podcast, and it'd be great if you supported them. To learn more about this podcast, our mission and vision, as well as our sponsors, please visit us on the web at www.jdhyman.com. <laughs>